Right now on a special Lone Star Politics, North Texans went to the polls yesterday. Now we'll take a closer look at your newly elected officials, plus an exclusive interview with Texas House Speaker Dennis Bonin on why he's receiving death threats. And we're sitting down with three presidential candidates campaigning in North Texas this weekend. Here, how they expect to win the Lone Star State. This is Lone Star Politics from NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News. Good Sunday morning. I'm Julie Fine from NBC5 along with Gromer Jeffers, political reporter with the Dallas Morning News. Good morning, Gromer. Happy Sunday to you. I see you have on your stars green, right? Yes, we have a jam-packed <laughs> show and then we're going home to watch the stars. And the results are in and this morning we're taking a closer look at the winners of yesterday's local elections and who is headed to a runoff. Joining the discussion this morning, Rudy Bush with the Dallas Morning News. Rudy, we're so glad you joined us. Hey, thank you for having me. We always love having you. Oh, you know appreciate that. it. Let's start with Fort Worth Mayor's race and a historic win for Betsy Price. She will serve an unprecedented fifth term after defeating Tarrant County Democratic Party Chairwoman Deborah Peoples and James McBride. You know, our priorities will stay the same that we've had success with. That's working on education, transportation, infrastructure, and delivering uh, jobs, recruiting jobs for the city. There will be a new mayor in Dallas after Mike Rawlings reached his term limit, but we won't know who until June 8th. There were nine candidates on the ballot, but with none securing more than 51% of the vote, we're headed to a runoff between State Representative Eric Johnson and Dallas City Council Member Scott Griggs. Well, I've been telling people that we need someone who can bring our city together. And I think you will see at the end of the night at some point that our support in this race has been across the entire city. We have not run a campaign that's focused on one narrow sliver of the city, no one particular demographic. We've focused on the entire city of Dallas. We're very excited to be in this runoff election. This is such a pivotal election for the city of Dallas. Dallas has sent the message that they want to see a new kind of mayor, and we're so proud and honored to be in the runoff. All right, let's talk a little bit about this race, Rudy. Yeah. Any huge surprises here? So uh, the surprise to me comes out of the council races. Uh, two, two things that I'm thinking about. One is the way that Jennifer Staubach Gates just absolutely walked away with no problem. And we're going to get to yeah, that okay. race in just a second. Yeah, okay, you want to talk about the mayor's race? Let's go to the mayor's race, race, yeah, race, first. Mayor's race first. So I wasn't terribly surprised by Price. That was not a competitive race uh, for, for, for her. In, in Dallas, I thought that Johnson would do very, very well, and I expected Griggs to make the runoff also. It's just Johnson has support throughout the city. Griggs has very strong support in some specific areas, so those were the two guys you would have expected. Yeah, Rudy, the only question I had, because remember, even before Johnson got in the race, he was the last candidate in. We kind of penciled Griggs in because yep. you know, he was an incumbent and he had that North Oak Cliff mm -hmm. base. The only question I had was would, would he be able to add enough and would someone like Lynn McBee do well enough in the North to sort of slip in? But she didn't. And so we have the two yeah, I think we expected. I think that's right. There was too much division among North Dallas candidates, so uh, th those folks split so many votes yeah. that it made it easy for Griggs with his blocks in North Oak Cliff and East Dallas and then going up into Lake Highlands to, to, to pull out into the runoff. Quickly back to Fort Worth, it was interesting. 
Beto O'Rourke on, on yeah. Friday kind of endorsed Deborah Peoples. It was interesting to see if she could make this more of a partisan race and build on Democrats winning out there in 2018. But Bessie Price showed you that municipal elections are really nonpartisan. Right. Julian yeah. Castro was there in Fort Worth yesterday yeah. as well. So there you go. Yeah. In a Dallas City Council race that received a lot of attention, as Rudy just said, District 13, Jennifer Staubach-Gates, holds on to her seat after being challenged by former Dallas Mayor Laura Miller. I, I knew that going into this, that I had the support of all the neighborhoods, as well as the police and fire, and, is, it, and I think this is what it showed, is that that support is there for me to continue the work that I've done over the last six years. Now, this race, I mean, it looked like towards the end that Jennifer Staubach-Gates was doing well. However, she really, this was a mandate. Yeah, this was a trouncing, as we said in the paper today. And I think what we thought it would be a little closer is Miller is a big political yeah. brand in Dallas. Oh, she's yeah. someone, former mayor, she's someone whose name immediately sort of commands feelings one way or the other. But what voters in this district said is, we trust Gates, we think Gates is the person to do the job, and they just absolutely sent her back to council with the mandate, as you say. Yeah, Rudy, it's so much like sports. Yep. You know, an athlete passes or her prime, sometimes you just can't come back. And, and I think Miller found that out against a popular incumbent. Really, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that the whole, a lot of this was based on the Preston development, but yep. what Jennifer Staubach-Gates really, I believe, tried to do was make it about. This is a big district, and Miller's focus was on a very narrow area of the district and the development in really the wealthiest part of the district. This is a district that stretches from far west Dallas over uh, past Central, and there are a lot of people in there who feel represented by Jennifer Gates. And it's not the no, no, no district anymore, yeah. right, Rudy? I, I, I think that's absolutely right this was a district that for many years was the center of keep things the way they are because they're pretty pleasant right. and happy up there uh J jennifer gates and and the voters there are ready for some changes and three dallas city council races that are headed to a runoff in district four carolyn king arnold who won the special election in december to finish the term for Dwayne caraway who stepped down over legal troubles will face dawn blair next month in district seven kevin felder was looking for re-election despite being charged with a felony over allegations that he hit someone on a scooter and then left the scene. However, in a race of nine, he finished fourth. Instead, the runoff will be between Adam Belzaldua and Tiffany Young. And in District 14, incumbent Philip Kingston gets a second chance to hold on to his seat with, runoff, with a runoff with David Blewett, who received more of the vote than Kingston did. Yeah, Kingston is a really polarizing figure on, on council, and he's a guy who uh, is, is quick to say negative things about the mayor, who is quite popular, and quick to sort of push a progressive agenda, even when people are looking for compromise. And he paid the price for that in his district, where a lot of people just said, you know, we might agree with this guy on policy, we just don't like him. It's interesting it happened now, right, because he's been kind of the same throughout his whole term on the council, but this time I think the voters, things, it things seems build. like they had enough, right? Yeah. Things build with voters, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and voters get to a point, Blewett is a really likable guy. He's a popular guy a in, his, in his district. He's a former SMU football player. Uh, he's, he, he's a guy who's raising a big family in the district. And so people know him. When they meet him, they tend to like him. They contrast that with Kingston. Was Kevin a fluke, Kevin Felder, a couple of years ago, you think? Yeah, that was yeah. just an accident of too right. many people in the race. Felder was, has always been a little bit off. We, 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 we called him a bit of an odd duck in an editorial once. And frankly, his district was ready for someone else. Yeah.
Warren Johnson also in the race. Let's turn back to Phil yeah. Kingston for right. a second. Sure, Warren sure. Johnson was also in the race. He got, you know, he was in double digits. I think he ended up with like 12% of the vote. So I wonder what would have happened yeah. there if he wasn't in there. If Johnson hadn't been in the race, I think Blewett would be the council member today. Johnson was a single-issue candidate, really, for uh, pro-Confederate statues, which is not yeah. a winning position in District 14, but he drew enough vote away from, I believe, David Blewett to keep Philip Kingston in a runoff, but Kingston's going to have his work cut out for yeah, him. Yeah, I think about 60% of the vote went against Kingston, yeah. which is pretty damning for an incumbent. In real, real quickly here, a rematch for Dallas City Council District 8. Tanel Atkins holds on to his seat after being challenged by the candidate. He succeeded. He succeeded. Eric Wilson, your reaction here? Uh, Atkins is popular in his district. you got to think back. Tanel Atkins was a multi Sport star at Bishop Dunn. He's a guy who played at SMU. SMU exactly. Uh, he, he, he's someone who's been in business down there for a long time. Eric Wilson is a really smart uh, potential leader for this city, but voters like to know Atkins and they showed it last night. And Atkins held the seat before Eric yes. Wilson. So, you know, it's not it's not really shocking that he, he held it again this time. No, I don't think so. Voter, voters there have indicated any number of times that they like Tanel Atkins and they want him on the council. Real quick, to both of you, a quick question. What is the race you're paying the most attention to now? The Kingston race for me is, is really interesting. I think it's the one that's going to be the most challenging in terms of uh, seeing an incumbent hang on to his seat. Uh, and, of course, we're going to pay a lot of attention, attention to the mayor's race. Um, uh, that's not going to be as tight in the end, I think. Yeah, I, I want to see how what argument that Scott Griggs makes against Eric Johnson. Yeah. I, I'm interested to see how, how he approaches running against what could be a consensus candidate. I mean, Eric could be that. We'll yeah, see. absolutely. And look, there's this broader political narrative that's taking place in the city right now. And we saw some of this actually in, in the Fort Worth mayor's race as well, which is there are national progressive uh, political issues that are being brought to bear in municipal elections and are being put before voters through municipal candidates like Griggs, like Kingston, uh, like Peoples, and voters are being asked, how far left do these big blue cities want to go? I think the answer might surprise us a little bit. Yeah. Rudy, we're so appreciative of you coming in Thank this you. early morning. Thanks He's so, so much for us. And we have much more on the elections, including results and reaction from candidates online at NBCDFW.com. Still ahead, an exclusive interview with Texas House Speaker Dennis Bonin, who's speaking candidly about receiving death threats. I never envisioned the level of insane, continuous, vicious attack. And as we head to break, more election results. Stay with us. This special edition of Lone Star Politics continues in just two minutes. As we enter the final weeks of the Texas legislative session, we're getting a progress report from the Speaker of the House. I sat down to talk with him this week about the session and the death threats that he's been receiving. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. I talked to you at the beginning of the session. You told me school finance and property tax reform were your two priorities. Those bills have left the House. Absolutely. Uh, we are very proud of the fact that Chairman Huberty and the entire House came together and passed almost unanimously. We had one member who chose to vote against the school finance bill back in the first week of April. And uh, we're proud of the work we did. 
reducing property taxes by $2.7 billion, very importantly reducing recapture, Robinhood, by $3 billion. That's 38% across the board reducing that, more dollars staying at home in those districts, and then putting billions of dollars into our, our classrooms, into our teachers, into our children, um, so that our parents get a better result out of what they're seeing in public education today. We're doing a good job in public education, but we all believe we can do even better than we're already doing. So that bill is in the Senate. We're working with our friends in the Senate. And then our property tax reform bill, the Senate sent that to us. And just yesterday, we sent Senate Bill 2 back to the Senate with a 3.5% automatic trigger of an election for any city and county. If they want more than 3.5% uh, revenue increase than the previous year, you have a vote on whether you agree with what they want those dollars for and should they get them. Talking about that, there are some mayors that have expressed concern about that cap. What do you say to them? Trust your, trust your constituents. Explain your needs. Um, first off, I think most cities and counties will easily live with under a 3.5% uh, revenue cap. But if for some reason they need to get beyond that 3.5% revenue cap, I think they've misarticulated the issue. You then have a conversation with your voters. You explain why you need additional dollars from each one of those taxpayers. And you tell them why. And if they agree with you, they'll say yes. But we're simply saying here, if you need to go to that level of increase, explain to your, your taxpayer why you need that money and allow them to help you decide if that's going to be okay or not. You and I talked at the beginning of the session, and this was not a job that you sought out. I mean, you were very, very clear about this. And now you're in this job, and you've been receiving death threats. They've come on the phone. You've received them via Facebook. And this is regarding constitutional carry, which the author of the bill actually pulled because of these threats. What has this been like for you? It's been pretty surprising. Um, you know, just this morning, uh, the community bank that I run uh, they receive threats there and then they receive negative views made up on Google. Um, they're attacking me in every way they can find. I wouldn't have expected to get death threats, but the part that's been the most surprising to me is they've targeted me, but they've more significantly chosen to target me and target my residents. But it's pretty across the line and extraordinary behavior. And the hardest part for me, I'm trying to pass school finance. I'm trying to reduce property taxes. I'm trying to make sure the backlog on rate kits goes away. I'm trying to make sure we do good things for people of Texas. It's been frustrating. With that said, um, passing House Bill 3 off the House floor unanimously, well, we had one vote against it. Um, passing Senate Bill 2 with over 100 votes this week, that's pretty exceptional. And the best part of this experience has been working with the members. Um, the Texas House is full of a lot of really committed, dedicated public servants. Uh, they have worked really hard this session, and the thing I think we've all worked the hardest on is showing Texas we know how to get work done and doing it with respect towards each other. And that's one of the things I'm most proud of, is how respectfully the Texas House has operated. And I want to be clear, we've argued, we've disagreed, we've debated big issues but we've done it with class and respect towards each other, which is, I think, what Texans expect. Make your argument, plead your case, stand your ground, but do it respectfully, and then come back and fight again the next day. You come back and do this again in two years. Do you want to be on standard time or daylight saving time? <laughs> uh, Mr. Larson is going to let the great people of Texas make that decision. Um, I, I do think people are tired of changing.
uh, it's, uh, he's en route to having a really good session in the House. They're getting things done. It's been a no-nonsense session. Unfortunately, he's had to go through these death threats, something no elected official or anybody should have to go through. And the road to the White House runs right through Texas. Still ahead, a portion of my one-on-one -on -one interviews with the Democratic presidential candidates that brought their campaigns to North Texas this weekend. Four Democratic presidential candidates are in North Texas this weekend, a solid indicator of how important our state will be in the 2020 race. New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand will attend a fundraiser in Dallas this afternoon. Former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro, former El Paso Representative Beto O'Rourke, and South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg also making stops in North Texas. I had a chance to speak with all three about the importance of Texas. Uh, Texas is always a big player in this Democratic primary. Uh, we go on Super Tuesday, along with California this time. So I'm spending a lot of time in those early states like Iowa and New Hampshire, but also spending a lot of time here in my home state. And I'm convinced that, uh, that I can win this state when the time comes. And you spent a lot of time in Iowa and in other states, but how critical is winning Texas? Texas is pretty close to everything. Um, it's, it's the case that I can help make to the rest of the country, um, along with the great people of North Texas and the 254 counties of Texas. We showed that you should not write this state off. It's, it's not red, it's not blue, it just historically had been non-voting. And thanks especially to young people, uh, voter turnout 500% increase amongst young people over 2014. Thanks to all those who knocked on doors, volunteered for us, we showed that Texas is in play. It's 38 electoral votes are in play, and I'm not going to take a single one of them for granted. What's your plan to win Texas 38 electoral votes? We know the truth is with so many of us in the competition, it's hard for me to go anywhere where there isn't a home state competitor or sometimes two. That's okay. Uh, you know, this is a, a conversation about where the entire country is headed. And so uh, I think uh, a good message is one that will make as much sense in Texas as it does in Oregon or South Carolina. Uh, and I believe that our message is the right one when we talk about freedom in its richest sense, not just freedom from government, but also the freedom that uh, only good government can, can help provide, like making sure that we have the uh, freedom to, to organize and the freedom that comes with having health care. Message Julie, Texas is a big deal. Texas is a big deal, and I expect to see these candidates all coming through, all of them. All 21 on Lone Star politics. Well, that's right. We had three around this week. This, around this table. Around this table. <laughs> well, we the fit them all best in? part of being around this table is you. Uh, all right. All right, let's Thank go, you. stars. Let's make it happen, and that's all the time we have. Look, of, look for more of my presidential interviews with the candidates in North Texas online at NBCDFW.com. Thanks for joining us this morning. We'll see you next Sunday.